Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, June 28th, and it's time for another episode of The Pit Politics in Trucking. We're about to jump into the pit, so jump in with us. Uh, We will get to calls and questions if you have any. So go ahead and dial us up right now if you want, 855 9503835 we should be getting i believe we're going to be joined by both John Hewlett and Stanford today and i think John might be bringing us a guest as well so um i see John's on the line so i'm just going to jump right in and bring John in and we'll we'll get started here John welcome back Thanks, Kevin. It's nice to be be with you. Uh, Dan Stanford and I are in the mountains of Utah. He's uh, here with his wife and uh, darling teenage daughter. And uh, so we've been having a great time and we're excited to join you today. And we've recently brought on board a, a very bright and capable conservative uh, voice and researcher, uh, his name just happens to be John Hancock. Which Boy, is, there you go. Which is, and he got uh, his training uh, includes a master's degree from Hillsdale College. So he's he's well schooled in good, solid constitutional um, governance and and research. So I wanted to uh, be able to introduce John to uh, you and to the group, and he will be working with us on research, writing, content, and multiple other things. And so we thought it only appropriate that his skills and training might be applicable from time to time as part of the the pit stop, should we say. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Well, it's going to be, I'm certain I'm not going to forget his name. Um, That's an easy one. So um, He's an unforgettable character. There you go. So is, is Stanford there with you? Are we using this one line? Yeah. Yeah, I am, Kevin. We're on the John and I on the same line this morning. We're Excellent. together this morning. Same location. Excellent. So great to be with you. Hey, I kind of wish I was there hanging out with you guys. That would be epic. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah. We're, we're going to have to do that. You know, it, it, I stay home all summer because I love the summer here. I turn down almost every offer to travel or go anywhere because I just love staying right here in the summertime. But, you know, fall, I kind of like once the bad weather hits, once we get back to the rainy season, um, we may just hit the road this year and do a little bit of traveling. So um, we'll we'll keep that in mind. And at some point, I'll get down there with the coach and we can do a show all together in one place. That'd be fun. That would, Kevin. That would be wonderful. All right, so I'm almost starting to think I'm going to have to do two episodes of The Pit every week because I never get to all the topics. I've got notes everywhere. Um, So many things I want to talk about on the show, and I never get to it. Um, I still want to do a big show on the vaccine, and I'm not going to do it today because there are other things that are really timely right now that I want to talk about. Um, But on the vaccine, real quick, I think we can spend a little bit of time on it. And I know you guys are heavily involved in a lot of these issues. Do either one of you guys follow Alex Berenson? 
I've I've heard of him, of course, and have read some of his stuff, but not not closely. Okay, so he he wrote a book um, during the pandemic, and he kind of wrote it in parts. He released a chapter on. I think, uh, I don't remember what order it was, but he covered the issues like masks and lockdowns and then the vaccine. And he's not a doctor. He's a he's an investigative journalist. And he used to work, I think it was for the New York Times. And he just felt like he just was never allowed to write what he really wanted to write. We know how the mainstream media is. So uh, he's independent now. You can find him on Substack. So if you go to Substack, um, search for Alex Berenson, it'll come right up. He's pretty popular on there. Um, he does have a free version and a paid version. And on the paid version, you get some of his stuff a little earlier, um, access to some more uh, detail. He's a really good investigative journalist, and he has been all over the whole lockdown thing. The book he wrote is called Pandemia. But honestly, you're, and you could read it. It's a fairly quick read. There's some pretty good stuff in there. But honestly, right now, his Substack feed has been outstanding on the vaccine. He's following up on lots and lots of medical reports and data we've been, you know, trying to find. And he's got lots of detail. He's got good sources. Um, I'd highly recommend following him on Substack. And again, I want to do a show based on a lot of this new um, data he's been digging up on, you know, the vaccine and what's happening now long term. But I really think we kind of have to uh, to dedicate the show today to the Supreme Court. Holy cow, what a week last week, huh? It was nothing short of amazing. And uh, uh, somebody pointed out to me kind of the irony of that the, the announcement came out on the guns, the uh, throwing out the New York gun situation. And um, before they announced uh, the changes on the Roe v. Wade. So I thought that was interesting so that I guess people could defend themselves legally against the protesting that was going to occur. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point you know here's what i don't understand about this there's so many things i want to talk about right now on this um one of them that just makes me a little crazy though um I, i'm certainly not a constitutional scholar but i i think i have the basics of you know how our constitution works and what the supreme court is there for and I, i'm i'm really kind of shocked that there is such a strong reaction to two of these when on the surface they seem like just total common sense and this is the way anybody who understands this would have to think that they would rule on these two and yet you see somebody like Schumer who has to understand this stand up and and scream about how they can't say that guns you know, are a constitutional issue and the state doesn't have a right to put those restrictions on it. And then the next day, turn around and say, abortion needs to be decided at the states. That's exactly how these two things should have been decided. And yet he acts like that that's just outrageous. What, what's with that? Well, it just goes back to some people, you know, everyone, some people, and it seems like the left are 
you know, more determined to have the Constitution fit their ideology than to actually read the words of what it says. And that's, um, it's, it's unfortunate, but we live in a political system where one minute they say it's irrelevant, and then the next minute they say that uh, these things that have been passed by progressive or liberal justices are cast in stone because they were passed, and yet we've seen lots of legislation essentially from the bench over the years, and then when they don't get their way, then they want to change the system, and they want to pass the courts or whatever, and, um, you know, they, they, they're attacking um, a couple of the justices in their confirmation hearings about saying that they didn't, you know, that they promised or they said this or they said that, and yet this last one, this last progressive justice that was uh, going through her interview wouldn't even speak as to what the difference between a male and a female is, which is <laughs> absurd. So yeah. it's, it's an ongoing, never-ending double standard, obviously, which is too bad. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, just uh, this was, you know, when you read the dissent on the Roe v. Wade case, um, they don't even talk about the Constitution. All they talked about was what Americans might want or prefer, or but that has nothing to do with what they're supposed to be ruling on. You're exactly right, and that's that's why when you see uh, dissent from uh, Justice Alito or Clarence Thomas, you see specific reference to the Constitution, where the progressive uh, talks about philosophy, precedent and uh, progressive ideology, not constitutional principles. So, so it's very, very inconsistent and uh, challenging. We just have to be be grateful, those of us who uh, believe in the Constitution as being divinely inspired. Um, we have to be grateful that uh, Donald Trump had four years and had three, three openings that he could fill to bring some balance and constitutional scrutiny and sanity back to uh, the court, even though the chief justice seems to to be a very interesting wild card for whatever reason, you can conspiratorially say that somebody's got the goods on him because he's certainly been erratic. But um, <laughs> yeah. it's pretty pathetic. it's pretty pathetic that he couldn't join the majority on the Roe v. Wade thing um, to help make it a more uh, definitive six three instead of five four uh, vote. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, that one uh, honestly just seems pretty clear cut, and I'm not sure why anybody's surprised about it. Now, you know, the states can deal with it. Certainly not over. Um, there were two cases that I were was hoping um, would be decided this session. It, one, I still think there's a chance. The other one, I don't think we're going to see at all. Um, I brought up the AB5, the independent contractor. Um, rule. It looks like they're going to pass on that one. We probably aren't going to get any kind of ruling on that one until October is what they're thinking now. Um, I follow one law firm that specializes in trucking, um, and that's kind of what they think right now is that we're not going to see a ruling on it till October. Um, there's another one, though, that we may still get something on before this ends. That's uh, West Virginia versus the EPA because that's been a huge issue in trucking. Um, Starting back in about 2003, 
the EPA put some pretty strict rules on truck engine manufacturers. Um, and then there's a big, long story. They rushed things. They didn't give the manufacturers time enough to really do the research. Then they caught the manufacturers cheating on their testing, and they moved up the timeline. So the timeline was so short that the manufacturers felt like they had to cheat just to make it. And then their punishment for cheating was the timeline got moved up even more. And the technology that they gave us in truck engines was a total disaster. It was horrible for the trucking industry. We've been fighting it ever since. The, the truck engines built from about 04 to about 2014, um, we regularly tell people just stay away from those engines. Buy something older or newer, but don't buy engines during that time frame. It was so bad. And this ruling is really kind of looking at all of these alphabet soup government agencies that we have with all the initials and saying, you know, are these agencies really allowed to set these kind of laws or regulations that have this much of an impact on people's lives when none of those people are elected? I'm sorry, Kevin. I guess uh, Stan is muted, so oh. which is a rare thing. So oh, I, I just... I just noticed I have two new lines up there, um, John Hancock yeah. and Stan. Let Stan and John get in, and then Stan can comment. So that'd yeah. be great. John's happy to introduce himself. All right. Let me, so let me do that. that. Let's, let's bring in Stan first, and uh, we'll get Stan's opinion. Then we'll meet John. So, Stan, um, real quick, you can open with anything you want, but if you would also comment on that case with uh, – West Virginia and the EPA. Do I kind of have that right? We're, we're kind of looking at all these agencies and wondering if we've given them too much power. Yeah, that's, uh, we've, we've spoken about this before a little bit, Kevin, the administrative state of the executive branch, which has expanded beyond uh, that particular branch of government, beyond recognition, uh, beyond any kind of constitutional construction uh, contemplated by the, by the, uh, that document itself. So we're yeah, we're dealing with federal agencies who are populated with uh, and federal employees who are appointed and uh, who have, you know, uh, it seems lifetime tenure, if not tenure, so to speak, but you know, life uh, lifetime employment. That is very difficult to remove these folks from office. But the, uh, the EPA is is one of the administrative state. Uh, alphabet soup um, agencies that is supposed to govern and that you the point you make is, is very well taken that I remember uh, this is an issue I had long before well even in the Bush administration uh, George W in his administration he expanded the the role of power of the executive branch uh, extraordinarily. And, and much of that was under his, uh, not just with the um, executive orders, which he began to uh, execute on a far more rapid pace than any prior president, but also really giving way more and more to the administrative state to handle uh, issues that uh, should have been handled, that should be handled by our legislative representatives. We just, there, there is no representation of the people in the executive branch, administrative state. 
so it is, it is a challenge because where you have volumes, hundreds of volumes of regulations, all of them produced by these administrative agencies, uh, and none of which uh, are a function of a vote by any kind of representative government. Yeah, and you know the EPA issue in um, in trucking. One were the federal regulations that were so poorly written and executed they wreaked havoc with the trucking industry but then there was another one and it has to do with california again um just like ab ab5 california decided on their own emission standards for trucking and they're much more severe than the rest of the country and the problem with that is that it interferes with interstate commerce yeah there's a that interesting principle that applies here to federal um, administrative law, which is that uh, states can elect, you know, where, where the where administrative law occupies the field, so to speak, and in a, uh, on a particular legal issue, states can choose to be uh, more restrictive. That is, notwithstanding the federal regulations, say, for example, at the EPA, California's state uh, EPA um, can choose to propose and propound and enforce um, stricter regulations than the federal government requires. And so that's what you see in California really as a pattern for the last you know three or four decades. Just whatever uh, whatever the, gov- the federal government proposes, you'll see. California doubled down in a number of different ways to produce stricter regulations really to see if they can drive the rest of the country to go their way. So, so it might be good. Yeah, but at this, at this time, uh, John is a, as a, uh, his academic background, his political philosophy. It might be uh, interesting to get John's take. Yeah, I, I'd love to. We're going to bring him in here in, um, just a minute. Uh, I had one other. Oh, I know what it was. Uh, along these lines, with this case with the EPA in West Virginia, um, yeah. will that have some sort of an impact on what we just went through in the pandemic, where they used the FDA, the CDC, OSHA, um, almost anything they could do to to push through these you know, what a lot of people would consider unconstitutional mandates. Uh, weren't they really doing the same thing when they tried to use OSHA to push through the, the mandatory vaccines? Yeah, that's a very good observation, Kevin. That's exactly, uh, exactly what they were trying to do, using a federal regulatory agency to uh, create uh, or actually uh, create and enforce uh, an executive order mandate. So you've got to, you know, the the president who executes a, an executive order and then looks to this alphabet soup mix of administrative agencies to see under whose jurisdiction the uh, the mandate uh, proscribed or prescribed in the executive order uh, can best be uh, performed. And that's, it's, it's, this has never been done before. Uh, this this uh, this application of uh, executive power. All That's right. one so, of the reasons, again, why the Supreme Court, the, uh, the Supreme Court shot down OSHA's attempt 
to uh, require injections for you know employees of companies of of a hundred more employees. Yeah. Uh, uh, same reason why the, the federal district court in the mask mandate case shot down the the uh, um, CDC's attempt to enforce uh, the wearing of masks under the under the idea that it's somehow a you know, mask or a sanitary sanitation tool under its uh, governing uh, regulations. You know, the court in that case found that it was a, an arbitrary and capricious use of the law. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, isn't it kind of ironic that the whole time with masks and vaccines we were talking about body autonomy, and now all of a sudden that's a big topic again? But they seem to have a totally different opinion on it this time. Um, all right, I'm going to throw out one more topic because it has to do with trucking and politics, and then I want to turn this over to uh, John Hancock and bring him in and get his opinion on anything he wants to comment on right now. Um, Obviously, we've touched on and, and, you know, it gets a lot of coverage in some parts of the media, not enough. But the the problems at the southern border, the disaster we have got down there. And um, today, just just one more a pretty big issue when you think about it. Forty eight people found dead in a tractor trailer this morning being smuggled across the southern border. Now, I, I want people to stop and think about this there were a hundred people inside of a trailer a hundred and it's over a hundred degrees outside and 48 of them died now how long does it take the human body to die from that kind of heat what what were those hundred people going through I, I you know and now it's just like a headline like you know everything else on the southern border they're going to ignore this is horrendous yeah, I, Kevin, it's uh, it's it's almost too tragic to comment on for me. I uh, I, I can't imagine that. I, mean, I, I think you'd have issues of oxygen deprivation and obviously heat exhaustion. And, I, I, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't the, the fact that it yeah that this uh, is tolerated. Well, I, you know, uh, I don't, we don't have enforcement mechanisms as a as a function to. To, to prevent this from happening again or to alleviate this I, kind of suffering or prevent this kind of suffering is just, uh, it's, it's got to be intentional. You know what? And I don't think it's hyperbole and I don't think it's out of line to say these 48 deaths are a direct result of this administration's policies. When, when you do what they've done for the last 18 months, basically ignore the border, know we have people crossing that border every day from hundreds of countries, and it's basically just become a free-for-all, that's how this happens. That's how you get 100 people packed into a semi-trailer and people dying like that. This, this, this should be laid right at the feet of this administration. Well, you know, it'd be easy to implement policy. It'd be easy. I take your point, Kevin. It's uh, it would be fairly simple to implement policies to prevent these very types of uh, you know these very types of consequences. Yeah, I mean, how many how many stories like this do we have to hear? How many of these car crashes with these smugglers trying to get away from law enforcement? They have, you know, twenty two people stuffed into an SUV and nine of them die when they crash. There have been way too many stories like this. And all the people dying out in the desert, we don't even hear about those. They're happening every day. And we could stop all of this. 
we could we could cut those numbers of people dying dramatically and all we have to do is go back to the policies that we had in the prior administration all right i'm gonna i'm gonna bring in john because we've covered an awful lot of ground um john hancock welcome to the show thanks kevin Uh, sweet to meet you yeah great to have you here sounds like uh you're gonna be a great addition to the team over there and we'd uh we'd love to get you to jump in and uh, give us some opinions. We covered a lot of ground today, um, a lot going on at the Supreme Court, a couple things that directly affect trucking. So uh, jump in and give us some opinions. Jump in anywhere you want. Okay, uh, thanks. Yeah, so I'm I'm new to this conversation and I missed the first part of it. Um, but yeah, I tend to, tend to agree with pretty much everything you've said and it's just uh, I think I think in, in order to give a uh, informed opinion, I'd I'd probably have to listen a little bit longer to, to kind, of, kind of what you guys have been talking about. Um, but yeah, I think John, yeah, John, this is John Hewlett. Why don't you give Kevin a little bit of your your background and your uh, philosophy and how you feel about uh, constitutional governance and um, yeah. the importance of the importance of, of trying to help educate people on the political side to understand yeah. our our constitutional roots. I think that would be valuable. Okay, sure. Um, so my my background is um, I have an undergraduate degree in literature and a master's degree in politics and political philosophy from Hillsdale College. And um, so that's kind of what my uh, background is and um, yeah, definitely agree that um, constitution needs to be uh, brought back and enshrined as um, the kind of standard that, that it used to be. Um, and I think the, the founders had in mind um a standard that the people could rise to. And so, yeah, I think it's crucial that the education constitution, constitutional education um, spread to as much as possible to, to the masses. Absolutely. So uh, I'll help you out here. If you want to get up to speed, you know, over the next, yeah. couple of weeks on one of the topics that um, I kind of mentioned uh, and we've been following. Like I said, I don't think we're going to get a ruling on it this session, but uh, California AB5 yeah. is the um, the bill in California. It passed its law, but the it, it, it basically what it says is it's a, a new test for independent contractor status where the old 21-question IRS test is kind of a disaster. There's no clear cut. You can answer the questions, and then you look at it and go, yeah, I still don't know. Um, It's not very clear at all. The new test, this ABC test, they call it, um, you can kind of ignore the A and C part. The B part of the test is what would change everything. So basically in the B part of this law, it says that 
a company cannot use independent contractors to perform its primary function. So the best example of this in trucking, and this is a big issue for trucking, but it's a big issue for a lot of industries. The, the best example in trucking is if I am a trucking company, my primary yep. role is to move freight. Now, in our system today, it's very common for a trucking company to contract with what we refer to as an owner-operator somebody who owns their truck and sometimes their truck and trailer, but they don't have operating authority. They have not gotten authority from the federal government to move freight, which is another thing I want to talk about why that even exists anymore. Why we should probably do a whole show about this deregulation in the early eighties with Carter and then Reagan basically got rid of the need to get permission from the federal government to move freight. But they kept all of the administrative parts in place. You still have to go apply for yeah. it. You still have to pay for it. They give it to everybody unless you have some sort of weird felony that would disqualify you. My point is, why do we even have the administrative part of it anymore? It, 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 it doesn't make sense uh, now that we're a deregulated industry so, but that's a, we'll set that aside. That's another show that I'd love to get uh, everybody's opinion on the legalities of all that. But um, this one really says that as a trucking company, I can't use independent contractors to move freight because that's their, that's primarily what we do. Now I could go out and hire independent contractors to fix trucks or to do our printing but I can't use independent contractors to move freight because that's our primary business. That's a huge change. I mean, the system in, in, the, in place right now uses a lot of independent contractors leased to these carriers because of that authority issue. So I, I think the government should just get rid of the whole authority thing. And then this doesn't become much of an issue at all, but they're not going to do that. It, it, California passed this and then the California Trucking Association has been fighting it through the courts. Um, the Ninth Circuit upheld the ruling and said this was a legal regulation in the state of California. So then they appealed to the Supreme Court. So it's been on hold. Nobody's enforcing this in California and trucking. Um, but it doesn't look like the, um, the Supreme Court's going to rule on it this time. But that those two issues, this idea of, you know, AB5 type laws. And there is a law at the federal government right now just like this. The PRO Act, it passed the House, yeah. and it's stuck in committee in the Senate, I believe. Uh, but I, I think that is a huge issue that could change the way we do business in this country, not in a good way. Yeah. yeah. You know, Kevin, one of, the, one of the things I think we can do maybe for next time when we address AB5 specifically is I have yet to read, I have not read, and... Uh, and I should do this so I can be more informative to you and and uh, in the tribe here. I have not read the the appellate arguments that have been filed with the Supreme Court on the case. I can't, you know, I uh, I can't tell you definitively what the policies that the uh, you know that the that the government of California is actually arguing for. What the uh, you know, I can't tell you in fine what their arguments are or what the opposition to those arguments are. 
Yeah. But, uh, I'll tell you what, I will make a commitment to actually read those uh, read those filings. So next time that, you bring this up, in in addition to talking about the ABC test and what we don't like about it and how it can affect uh, how we do business, I mean, this would actually require uh, all trucking uh, personnel to come under a W-2 yeah. employment status. Yeah. And or, strike down any 1099 options, which, uh, you know, the taxation on W-2 employees is uh, radically different than 1099. And, and, uh, and therefore, the control of that employment situation as well. You know, what, uh, what that W-2 status, uh, the restrictions that, it, that applies to or that apply to, uh, to individuals employed under that, under that rubric. Both in, in, yeah. Uh, under the, law. I, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. It's kind of an interesting little twist. The um, the industry in the California Trucking Association, and this is the same mm-hmm. argument we tried to make against California's emissions and it California's emissions, and it failed. The argument is that the this is already. We have a regulation in place that already covers this, a federal regulation, but and it's actually through the FAA. And the the argument and and the FAA ruling basically says that states cannot create laws or regulations that could interfere with pricing and scheduling and were that was primarily written for the FAA on airlines, but then it was also yeah. applied to trucking because we have the exact same issues. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. So that that's the argument that they're using. So uh, yeah, I would I would love it if um, okay. if you guys could kind of get up to speed on this. Yeah. And I could get your opinion on that, and um, after we tackle that one, maybe we will go to this authority. Because here's the other thing that kind of bothers me: the 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 fix for this, if if you're not going to be an independent contractor leased to these companies, you then could choose as a one truck owner to go to the federal government and apply for your own authority and then you would be able to still work with these companies in another capacity they actually have brokerage licenses and they can broker the freight to you once you have your authority right the one of the things that really bothers me about that is sure that would fix this but it's a lot more complicated insurance costs go through the roof but the other thing that really bothers me is now in order for me to get that authority, I have to pay a fee to the federal government. So they're writing a law yeah. that forces me to pay a fee to them to solve it. Yeah. And then they can govern, you know, they can, in, they can put into effect additional regulations down Correct. the line of, yep. uh, and conditions. Yep. Uh, instead of to control, you know, what you can and can't do and what you're going to pay and, and whether they can make the, no, it may be a, a uh, an employment model that is legal, but that doesn't mean it's economically viable. Correct. As you say, I mean, yep. if insurance costs go through the roof, there was there's uh, certainly been a insurance costs have been a weeding uh, exercise for medical practitioners in this country. Right. You know, uh, surgeons, uh, you know, medical professionals who are you know in uh, higher risk medical practices where the costs of insurance are exorbitant that, you know, chosen to open pizza shops, just you know, <laughs> say goodbye to the yeah. practice of, of medicine because yeah. it, it is ex- 
it's, it's too expensive. The cost so, of doing business is too high. Yeah, so... So you're effectively regulated out. Ju- so, just to give you an example, if I lease my truck to another trucking company, which is the model now, and, and it works really well, and we do a lot of it, my insurance would be roughly about $3,000 a year. If I decide to go get my own authority, which is what these types of laws would force us to do if we wanted to continue to own those trucks and not become an employee, if we just go back three or four years ago, my insurance cost then would have been about five or $6,000, about double. Now, though, that same insurance, if I am forced to go apply for my authority and become a carrier on my own, that insurance is now running twenty-five to $30,000 a year. So how do you, you know, how, how do you take a cost like that and pass it on to the customer in a competitive environment? That's the problem. And this environment is about to get really, really competitive with what's going on in trucking right now. We're getting hammered at rates. We have inflation, which hurts us on the business side. The cost of fuel went through the roof. The cost of maintenance went through the roof. We have shortages of parts. We can't even get parts right now in, in some cases. We have shortages of some supplies, including fuel. We've run into some fuel shortages already. So we have inflation on the business side. Everything we pay for has gone up. But rates are being hammered right now. Rates have dropped um, in some segments almost 50% in the last three months. All of that's unsustainable. Yeah, so. we're, we're, we're using, I hear analysts using the term like, like bloodbath that that's what's coming in trucking right now. Uh, so what do you, you know, Kevin, from your vantage point, because you sit on a particular, on the summit of a particular mountain relative to the industry, uh, for a, uh, perspective, you know, from the, the owner operator to the, you know, large corporate entities running tens of thousands of rigs and, uh, what do you see? I mean, you see these uh, so, all these different mechanisms operating from fuel pricing to fuel shortages to parts shortages. So rate, what, rate to, decreases, insurance cost increases. I mean, yeah, where do you to, see it? What, do, you, do you see a timeline? Two well things. Two things are happening. We're, we're already seeing the pattern. The small trucking companies, the, these, here's another interesting statistic. You see the big trucking companies when you're out on the road. I mean, even if you're not paying attention after a while, you start to realize I see trailers with Swift on them a lot. One of the biggest trucking companies in the country. We see the big companies that do have tens of thousands of trucks and drivers. They only move a really, really small percentage of all the freight in this country. I, I might not get this statistic exactly right. Um, and I've seen a couple different versions of it, but you'll get the idea. 90% of the freight in this country is moved by trucking companies that have less than 10 trucks. 90%. Wow. 
It's huge, and people don't realize that. Now, what's happening with these small trucking companies is they are basically either going out of business or the guys are just giving up the equipment going back to being drivers. Here's a number. Again, you have to apply for authority through the federal government to become a motor carrier. So we we have statistics on this, and it's all public uh, access. So in an average month... Over the last five years, an average month, we would see about three, two to three thousand of these companies give up their authority, meaning they they are no longer going to pay the fee. They're going to let it go inactive. They're not going to be using it. So that either means they got out of the business completely or they chose to take their equipment, lease it to another carrier um, because they weren't doing well financially in May. So the average has been about two or 3,000 a month. In May, we hit 9,000. 9,000 small trucking companies gave up their authority in May. And I'm waiting for the numbers after June's over. I have a feeling it's going to be worse. So that's what's happening on the small end of things. We're just losing them. Um, we have way too much capacity in the industry now for the amount of freight we have. On the big company side, we're seeing a lot of, uh, of M&A, a lot of merger and acquisition stuff going on. So quite a bit of consolidation. Yeah. Yeah. We're already seeing it. I reported on another good sized trucking company this morning, getting bought by somebody else. I think just about every week for a while, I've been reporting on that. So a lot of these um, small and mid sized trucking companies getting bought up by other bigger trucking companies. And on the small end of the business, just a lot of them going out of business. One, one thing I heard in the last week, Kevin, I'm interested in your take on this regarding a, a very large uh, trucking company that uh, they can stay in business. I, I, I got this on, I, from an individual I, I trust quite uh, well, trust implicitly, but he says, you know, this, uh, this large trucking company makes its margin not carrying freight, but because it sells tires. Oh, Oh, I, so I, there is an issue. We have something, we could do another show on this too. Um, there's a, a system in trucking. So I've talked about, you know, it's very common for me to go out as an individual, buy one truck. I don't even need a trailer. Mm-hmm. I can just buy a truck. I can find a trucking company before noon today that would lease me on with that truck, even in this environment. You know, even as slow as it is with everything kind of, you know, ramping down, I could still go sign on a truck before noon today. It's not not hard to do at all. Um, oh, shoot, I had too many things going on in my mind there. What what was the point you just made? Oh, just that, um, that this large trucking firm oh, yes. that selling really tires. has to do with the, yeah. the rate. So, yeah, selling tires, and that's where they make their prop. That's where they make the so, profit. So here's what a lot of these trucking companies have figured out. And this goes back decades for as long as I've been in the industry. These large trucking companies and even, you know, some smaller and midsize, you know, maybe 50 trucks and up kind of thing. They have created what they call lease purchase programs. So they will make you into an owner operator, even if you have no money, no credit, no business experience, no knowledge. All you have to do is be able to fog a mirror and sign your name. 
And what they do is they roll in these big, beautiful new trucks, all decked out, custom paint, lots of cool stuff on them. And they tell these the drivers that already work for them, hey, look, all you have to do is sign here. No down payment, no nothing. We'll take everything out of your settlement. And you get to be an owner operator with this new shiny truck. Um, this is so bad. I wrote a book about it. it, it they, these people almost never succeed at this. They have no legal right to that equipment. They, they could pay for that equipment for four years. And I'm talking big payments. We're talking sometimes $3,000 a month and more. And at any time during this, and at the end, they're supposed to have a buyout and then they can own the truck. At any time, right. these companies can cancel that contract for no reason whatsoever. So you could pay for their truck for four years. You could maintain it for four years because when it breaks down, you're responsible to fix it. You put the insurance on it. You put the fuel on it. And any time they want, they can just cancel the contract and take their truck back. And the upside for this, for me, as the driver of that truck, is what? <laughs> uh, yep. Now he's an independent contractor. And there are trucking companies. I've been through their their financial statements. There are trucking companies that make more money leasing trucks to people than they do moving freight. Well, well there you go. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's a crazy industry, so it's kind of uh, interesting um, to get, you know, you and um, John in here and now John Hancock. And uh, to me, you know, um, I do the best I can. I understand the industries in truck or the, uh, the issues in trucking. I understand the issue. I sometimes struggle with all the legalities. I mean, the legal issues can get pretty complicated. So it's nice to have you guys here to get some opinions. We'll be back next week with having uh, boned up on the AB5. Excellent. Uh, All right. So, so, so um, one of the, the, kind of the theme I wanted, I can't believe we're, uh, we're 45 minutes into the show and I'm just getting to my theme for the day. Um, here, here's kind of what I've really been thinking about this last week, though. We use this phrase a lot. We say it all the time. But I think now is probably one of the best examples I've seen of this in my lifetime. And I, I hope we can get some other people to think about this. We use this phrase a lot, right? Elections have consequences. We say it all the time, right? Yes. But look at where we are right now. I cannot think of another time in my lifetime where that phrase is so obvious. So, and we've had some pretty wild elections the last couple of times arguing about whether they're legitimate or not. And I'm not even going to get into any of that for either election. But we can see how things changed after 2016. The tax laws got changed, more regulations got taken away, industry was thriving, business was doing fantastic. Um, we were setting records in really good ways. We became energy independent for the first time in our history. There were some really good things happening. Then we have the election of 2020, and I, I, I'm still just shocked at how many crisis crises we're going through, and yet nobody seems to be addressing any of this them from this administration. 
They just constantly ignore them. We have the border issue that's getting worse. Um, Now 48 people lost their lives over it. Uh, Inflation is insane. Now we're setting records that we've never seen before in a bad way. Um, What a flip of 180 degrees. I, I keep asking this question and I get zero feedback. Maybe it's because I don't have any Democrats listening to me. I, I kind of doubt that, though. I keep asking people, please, just tell me one thing you think this administration has done well. It, and there's nothing. It's been an unmitigated disaster in so many ways. But now we do have another example of how the elections are still having an impact. And that's because we're finally seeing a true constitutional Supreme Court. That happened because of the election of 2016. And now we're seeing it in in major decisions coming out. Yeah, no question about the consequences. The, uh, on the, for, um, for the politically liberal mind, the, and this goes to the, the, your observation of look at the things that are going wrong. Um, because, but over 70% of the country thinks that we're on the wrong track. I don't know what the other 30% could possibly be thinking. Um, they're too, uh, they're too busy watching the view to think. <laughs> somehow something's actually going right. I, I don't understand that other 30%. But, uh, the, I think the question, and maybe John would have a an idea about this from a political uh, political philosophy perspective. The question I I would pose to the liberal minded uh, voter is, what do you stand for? I mean, what we have heard over the last two years is what they stand against. That's a good point. Uh, they're, they're vocal and violent about it. They're vocal and violent. Uh, what I would like to understand and what I'd like to have uh, a liberal mind make a cogent argument, rational argument to me about is what are you actually for? And uh, because I, based on the, the reactions, for example, uh, you touched on this a little earlier in the show, the Supreme Court's decision on Roe versus Wade to actually make that the, the decision is this is not a constitutionally protected right it is a matter to be governed by the states. It's a matter to be governed by state legislators. Now, how is that a bad thing? Particularly where the right, the, the, the right that, uh, that the court came up with years ago was, uh, it, it's arguably the worst, uh, the worst decision ever pinned out of that, uh, out of that body. Um, but what is bad about driving government closer to, uh, to the people. I had a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday who's a former uh, ranger who, uh, I, interestingly, his opinion was, well, you know, what happened with the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe versus Wade is you take choice away. And I said, actually, that, that's not the case. Because there's a, the only the thing that happened is if, if, if you really want to, uh, if, if a woman really wants to have that kind of uh, procedure performed, then it's a question of just where. And you might have to travel for it. But I, that, that, you know, that argument to me doesn't equal oppression. 
for heaven's sakes. Right. Uh, talk about oppression. Let's go to, uh, we could go to Somalia. Uh, we could go to uh, Libya. Uh, we could go to Togo. We could go to uh, some of the Baltic states. I mean, we could go to dozens and dozens of countries in the world, all of who have, you know, citizens that are crushing our southern border to get into our country uh, to, to actually take a look at what oppression looks yeah. like. Well, you know what I thought was kind of funny? I just mentioned the view. Um, obviously, they've lost their mind over the Roe v. Wade decision, but the funny thing was they decided to take their show on the road this week, and they were they yeah. were live from the Bahamas, and they were just going nuts about the fact that, you know, the Supreme Court took away abortions, which they absolutely didn't do, but they're doing right. the show from a country that has outlawed abortions. <laughs> you only could get that kind of irony with the with liberal participants. Oh. I mean, yeah. that, that kind of conservative <laughs> irony yeah, stupidity. Yeah. I mean, you, you'd actually have to think, Kevin, in a rational world that, uh, where, where math actually works, that an outcome like that had to be intentional. <laughs> because the only alternative is you know, absolute ignorance. I know. So, I know. Uh, hey, uh, anyway, yeah. Beautiful library. Hey, John, I, I know you're kind of new to the show, yeah. but uh, you got to know yeah. that on this show, you've got to just jump in. Yeah. You know, this is kind of a free for all. <laughs> I'm uh, interviewing is not like my strong point, so it, it I, it's just oh. kind of a free for all. So you just got to jump in with your opinions and when you can. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I I, I enjoy listening and I'm I'm learning a lot so far. Um, when you when you said um, Kevin, elections have consequences. It reminded me of the phrase that I think is behind that is ideas have consequences. And it's sort of, sort of the idea. So I see some of these issues you're talking about, trucking and border issues, inflation, guns, and administrative overreach and alphabet soup and all that. It's like, these are all these heads of this, this giant hydra. And I'm glad that there are people fighting to, you know, cut off these hydra heads. And we need that. And I think some of the best ways of doing it is exactly what you're doing here on your show is getting together with, you know, locally with people, um, using the democratic process to, to find solutions and, and actually, you know, with, uh, with the people. Um, but sometimes I see this Hydra and I just think, well, what's, you know, what's behind, what's the root of this Hydra? And, and, and really, I mean, I think it goes, you know, far, far beyond even the 2016 election. And, you know, very few people have a historical memory that extends beyond anything, you know, beyond the last couple of decades. So I think, I think the ideas have consequences is sort of what was behind the elections have consequences. That's a good point. I, I think that's also a good way to think about it because that, that's really what we are talking about. They, this all comes back to ideas. What, what idea do we have to advance, you know, our democracy, our society? And, um, I, you know, I, I just wonder this time where we are right now in history. Stan, you said something about 70% of the people think we're on the wrong track, and I've seen, 
you know, all kinds of statistics about this. I, I doubt that they've ever been as bad as they are right now. I mean, I, I get that we have two very different ideas about how to move forward uh, between the two parties. Yeah. I, I'm just wondering, does this Democrat Party really have much support anymore for most of their ideas? Well, that's, that's what I think maybe the, maybe the silver lining in all this is that as some of these things become more and more apparently insane, that a lot of the sober-minded, even liberal minds will, will come to their senses. You know, hopefully, so maybe, maybe a silver lining is, as, a, you know, the polarization becomes more and more obvious is that, you know, good-hearted people of, of different, different backgrounds will, will start to notice, like, okay, this is just insane. So, so now what? Yeah. You know, I want to go back to an idea we mentioned earlier. Um, Stan, when you talk about, you know, finding out what they believe, what they stand for, um, meaning the Democrats and the liberals and, and what do they support? What are their ideas? And I don't mean the politicians right now. I mean, the people right. I've been trying so hard to hear from people who vote Democrat and, and try to get that answer from them. What, what do you see happening? What do you want your politicians to do? Are they doing what you want them to do? And, and I'm just getting no feedback at all. Like people don't even want to talk about it. And, and I'm hoping that's because they do see how outrageous the Democrat party has become right now. And we're, we're just in a place where, they'd kind of rather ignore it. But if we look at the last election, it it really it was apparently obvious that very, very few people were really voting for Joe Biden. Most people were voting yeah. against Donald Trump. There's a big difference there. Yeah, the, the, the Trump derangement syndrome was a... I, when I first heard that phrase, I didn't like it because... You know, early on, I wasn't sure about about Trump, but then as, as things progressed, as things unfolded, and that phrase "Trump derangement syndrome" that I used to not like, I saw it in real life that it was an actual thing, like people actually losing their minds completely, yeah. unable to reason. You know, just based their all their political opinions were based on sheer emotion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, let's uh, let, let's grab some calls and find out what uh, what the tribe wants to talk about. We're going to get started in uh, on that left coast of California. Eric, welcome to the program. Hey, first up. All right. Um, I was sitting in a truck stop restaurant the morning that Rose versus Wade was overturned. I didn't know it was coming at all. So because I I. Honestly, it's part of my stress protocol to not watch the frickin' news, except for occasion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, now, I understand it fully as just being, all they did was they returned it to states' rights because it's a non-constitutional issue. But what almost literally terrifies me is that the first thing I believe they're going to do now is try to add two more seats to the Supreme Court so that they can pass the court with more anti-constitutional Marxist judges 
who want to legislate from the bench, and then we lose the country once that happens. It, we will never get it back at that point. Uh, yeah, what do you guys I, think of that? I, I, I think they would love to do that. I think the odds of them being able to pull it off are, are slipping away day by day. I mean, I, I doubt that they could pull it off right now because of mansion and cinema at the very least. Um, and I'm certain that after November, they won't have a chance of pulling this off. But I, that's what they want to do. There's no doubt. Yeah, I, I, I've never understood how we can have Supreme Court justices that are anti-constitutional. Because to me, that's their job, is to say, here's the Constitution, here's this piece of legislation, they don't match, so no, well, it's gone. Because having an an anti-constitutional judge, to me, would be like having a plumber that thinks water can flow uphill. It just makes no sense at all. Well, you know, here's the one thing we do have to remember that the Constitution still needs to be interpreted. That's why we have a Supreme Court. That's, it, it, you know, the, the system was done well. They have a lifetime appointment so that they can't be pressured. It shouldn't become political. But there are going to be differences of opinion about interpreting what the, what the Constitution is saying. I, I'm okay with that. That's the system. What what we're seeing now, though, especially in this ruling, and I mentioned this earlier, the, the dissent, the, the liberal position on this didn't even mention the Constitution. There was no constitutional argument made. They were making arguments that's, that's based on the, the merits of abortion. That, that's not what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I know. I know. And that, but but what, what really gets me is the idea that if... All right, now this, uh, yeah, words, Roe v. Wade is not a constitutional issue. It is a states' rights issue, period. However, if we had, if the vote go, went, was the other way around and the issue was then the Second Amendment, they wouldn't care that it's in the Constitution and that it literally states, shall not be infringed. There's no interpretation needed for that, and yet it has always been argued. And if we had a 5-4-6-3 going the other way, we would lose it all. Well, no, I... I, I will argue with you because even the the Supreme Court has upheld some states' restrictions on guns. And, and you could make an argument, but wait a minute, that infringes. If, if nothing else, if you just make me go apply for a license, even without a background check, you could argue that that infringed on my rights. So that's what I mean, that the Constitution does still need to be interpreted. Well, I, yeah, I understand that. I just, I, I just, I really don't trust the people who are obviously trying to destroy this country by doing it that way. No, by no, I agree. I, 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 I completely agree. I, um, all right, I'm going to cut you loose, and I think we've got the other John back. Um, I know he had to take off to do something. John, is that you? Uh, yeah, it, it keeps cutting out for some reason. I don't, I don't know. Oh, 
Uh, okay. Kevin, I'm here as well. Oh, okay. I've got, uh, I've got a hard stop in just a few minutes, Kevin. Got it. Okay. And we're, we're probably going to wrap this up. Um, it's kind of been a strange day. Uh, let's grab another call, though. While we've got time, we're going to go to yeah. Montana. Trent, welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, the, uh, the decision about New York gun laws is not even close to being constitutional. I mean, I realize, you know, we've all been born after the incorporation doctrine was pulled out of an orifice underneath their black robes. But there was nowhere in the Constitution that says the Bill of Rights applies to the state. Never was intended. You know, the, the Constitution was a blueprint for the federal government, and the Bill of Rights was to further restrict the federal government. It points, fact, if you read the preamble, it points directly at the U.S. Congress. Now, the incorporation doctrine, they came up with that, you know, half a century after the 14th Amendment was passed. You know, the 14th Amendment said freed slaves are now citizens. Now, somehow, they came up with this magic idea that, oh, the Bill of Rights was supposed to apply to the states. No, that was just a huge power so, grab. Let me let me ask you something because I'm not really sure if I'm following what you're saying. Are are you saying that sure. that the states do have the rights to put whatever restrictions restrictions they want, even on issues that that are in the Bill of Rights? Is that what you're saying? Correct. That's why well, most then, states well, have the same wording as the Bill of Rights. You know they. Most state constitutions had that same word so, well, because the people of those states want the same rights protected. Yeah, but the way I understand it, and by all means, John and Stan jump in and help me out here. Like I said, that's not my strong point. If that's the case, if, if, the, if we have a right given to us by the Constitution, a God-given right, that the federal government can't mess well, with that. That's the whole point of it. But now you're saying the states right. have the absolute right to put any restrictions on those rights they want? Well, like I said, most, most of them have the same protections written in. Um, but yeah, it's a state was supposed to govern themselves. The federal government was never supposed to govern the state. Well, then what I see is that we really then would have 50 countries, not 50 states. If they can override my God-given well, rights, then that, that they've now become me, a country. Let me go back pre-progressive um, era. The, the definition of federal was League of Nations. You were supposed to have League of Nations, you know, each country governed themselves, and there was an umbrella over that called the federal government that protected those countries. Um, I, so, yeah, I, this, I mean, the, the, we grew I, up, I, I gotta say, this we, goes beyond me. Stan, Stan and John, can, can you guys jump in and help out here? I would, re I would really like to engage in this uh, conversation. Yeah, I just. I've honestly got like 30 seconds. Yeah, okay. Before um, I've got a, hey, Trent. Off, Kevin, but really, the, the caller makes some very good points on uh, this would be a, this is a great point at which we can have a conversation about the Constitution education. Hey, Trent, can we, um, uh, 
can can we get you back on a future show kind of as a guest and we'll just do a round table on this that's possible my uh, my truck got blown over a couple weeks ago so i'm kind of like unemployed right now yikes <laughs> oh, <geez>. yikes <laughs> yeah that's uh Mother Nature was not friendly there. Um, all right, so we are going to wrap this up again, Stan. I know you've got to run. Um, we yeah. are past our time today. Trent, it, think about it. If you'd like to join us, just send me, drop me an email anywhere or message anywhere you can reach me. You can send it to support at letstruck.com. You could send me a direct message. I'm on, on, I'm on truck and trap. I'll send you a private message. Yep, send me a private message there. I'd love to get you back. I, I Honestly, I think you're making points that are beyond my knowledge on this. Uh, sounds like Stan and, and John would have some feedback. Sounds like a great topic. I'd love to learn more about this. So, um, if yeah, let's you'd like, let's, uh, let's do that. Sure. Um, great right. to be with you, Kevin. All right. Great to have you guys, uh, John. Great to meet you. Looking forward to having you on the show more often and getting your opinion. Uh, great stuff. We were kind of all over the board today, but there's a lot going on right now. So, uh, that's just how this show goes. We will see you back here tomorrow for destination health. We've got a big day lined up. Be safe. Be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. We'll see you tomorrow.